time that we come to these verses. Uh, We have spent several weeks in them because, as I I told you when we first came to these verses several weeks ago now, that that these particular verses have had a a profound impact, a profound influence on on the way that I understand the Christian life, on on what I understand it to mean to to be a disciple of Christ, and what it means to, to truly follow him. And so for the last several weeks, we have been uh, seeking to unpack these verses in some detail to to really hear what it is that Jesus is saying to us and to to understand how uh, it is to be uh, applied to our lives. And so this morning, we now finally come uh, to the last section uh, in these verses, the the verse uh, 26 and 27, which speak to us of the necessity of discipleship. And so let us uh, read together uh, Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 27. Listen to this. This is the very word of God. And he came to all, and he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. That is the reading of God's word. Let us pray and ask for his blessing upon our study here this morning. Father God, these are your words. They are the words of life. The words by which we have been born again. The words by which we grow up in our salvation. Father, we pray that your spirit would attend to the preaching of your word here this morning. That he would not allow it to return void, but that he would cause it to bear fruit in our lives, even according to your promise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've said these verses divide naturally into into three parts. And in verse 23, we have the marks of discipleship where, where Jesus tells us what we must do if we would be his disciple. He says quite plainly that if, if you would come after him, if you would be his disciple, you must deny yourself. You must take up your cross and you must follow That is, you must renounce the right to rule and direct your own life. You, you must abdicate the throne. You must deny yourself. And not only must you deny yourself, not only must you bow to Him as as Lord, but you must take up your cross as you are doing so. You must recognize that that following Him is going to bring trouble. It is going to bring persecution. If they hated Him, they will hate you as well. And you must count the cost as you begin to, to follow after Him. So you must deny yourself. You must take up your cross and you must follow. You must... Take his will as your own. You must seek first his kingdom. You must obey his words. This is what it means to to believe in him. This is what it means to confess him as Lord, to deny yourself, to take up your cross and to follow him. It's a high price. It's an absolute price. 
Jesus demands that we give Him our entire life without reservation, without qualification. To borrow Paul's words from Romans chapter 12, we are to offer ourselves to Him as a living sacrifice, as a whole burnt offering. Why would anyone be willing to pay such a price? Jesus tells us in verses 24 and 25, in these verses He gives us the logic of discipleship. And he says, yes, the, the price is high. I, I'm not going to hide it from you. In fact, there were times when people would come to Jesus and say, I'm going to follow me. He, say, he, say, he, would, he would slow them down. He would say, wait, you, you need to count the cost. You need to understand what it is that you are getting into. The cost is high. But the cost of not following is higher. The one who would save his life, the one who would, who would not bow to Christ, he will in the end lose his life. But not only is there a negative reason, not only is the cost of not following higher than the cost of following, but the reward for following is far greater than any cost we could possibly pay. What Jesus demands in the end pales in comparison to what he offers. The reward is that if you will lose your life for his sake, then you will find it. If you will die to him, then you will live eternally with him. The reward is great. And so it makes sense to to give this life which you can't keep anyway, to gain a life which you cannot possibly lose. And now, as if to drive home the point, in verse 26, Jesus reiterates that absolute necessity of this discipleship. In a sense, this was covered under the logic. You know, it, the logic only makes sense if it's, if it's necessary, if, if you really have to do it. But, but here, Jesus makes it explicit. Look what he says again in verse 26. He says, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, and the glory of his Father and of the holy angels. If you are ashamed of me now, Jesus says, I will be ashamed of you then. To truly understand what Jesus is saying, I want to to take this in in three parts. First, I want to just ask, when? When when is Jesus talking about? What what is the day that Jesus is talking about? Notice what he says. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory. But when is that? What is it that Jesus is talking about? It seems clear that that Jesus is talking about the final judgment. He's, He's talking about the judgment that comes at the end of this present age. We believe that history is linear. It is, it is going somewhere. It's, it's, not a, it's not a big circle. It's not repeated. It's, it's, it's not just the same thing over and over and over again. But it is, it is a, a story with a beginning, a middle, and an end. It is heading to a climax. And that climax is the day in which our Creator will call us to account. That day when He will review our record. When, when He will look at the lives we have lived. And He will reward us according to what we have done in the body, Paul says. It is a a day of judgment. It is a day that is on the horizon. A day that is coming. And we know that this is what He is talking about because Jesus uses that word when the Son of Man comes in His glory. Remember what we've seen even in this chapter. Earlier in the, the previous section, Jesus was talking to His disciples about who He is. We remember that he asked the disciples, who do the crowd say that I am? And, and everyone in the crowd, they knew that Jesus was someone special. They, they knew that he was a prophet sent from God because he was doing amazing things. But Jesus pushed his disciples to see more. Jesus said, I'm not just a prophet. 
But I am the Christ of God. I am the anointed one. I'm not just a prophet. I'm the one the prophets were talking about. I'm the one the prophets said was coming. I am the seed of the woman. I am Abraham's child. I am David's greater son. I am the one who is going to establish the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. I am the one who is going to fulfill all of God's promises. It's the way that Jesus began his ministry. Remember in his hometown synagogue, he he took the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he he read the words about the, the coming Savior who would set at liberty the captives, who would establish justice and righteousness forever. And he said, in your hearing, these words are fulfilled. I'm the one the prophet is talking about. Jesus is the Christ. He is the promised Savior. But no sooner have his disciples seen this truth, no sooner have they understood who he is, than he begins to tell them, I'm going to die. I am the Christ. I am the Savior. I'm the one who's going to establish the kingdom. And let me tell you something. I'm going to Jerusalem and they're going to kill me. Needless to say, the disciples were confused. They didn't really understand how the one who was going to be their Savior could be killed by their enemies. It's the truth that Jesus is going to begin to explain and unpack for us in the the second half of this gospel. But of course, we we know how this works. We we know that, that Jesus is the Savior. And as the Savior, He must die. Not because He deserves it, not because He's too weak to avoid it, but because He has come to give His life as the ransom for many. He has come to to give His blood as the ransom price for our salvation. We are under a curse because of our sin, because of our rebellion. We are are under the wrath of God. And He has come to set us free from that curse, to, to rescue us from that wrath by giving His life in place of ours. He is going to drink to the dregs the cup of God's judgment so that we might instead receive the cup of His blessing. That is Christ's humiliation. That is Christ's suffering. That is Christ's passion. But Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that because Jesus was obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross, God has now exalted Him. God did not allow death to hold him, but God raised him up. He gave him the name that is above every name. He seated him at the right hand of the Father in glory. And one day, Jesus is going to come with that glory that is now his as the resurrected Lord, as the one who is victorious over death. One day, Jesus is going to come in that glory to bring to an end this present evil age. To bring to fruition the work which he has begun. To establish his kingdom in full. The kingdom is already here. Jesus alludes to that in in verse 27. When Jesus rises from the dead at his resurrection, the kingdom is established. But we don't see it in its full glory yet. But that day is coming. The day is coming when he will return in his glory to bring to completion the good work that he has begun. And on that day, we will face a judgment. And so what's going to happen on that day? What's going to happen at that judgment? Jesus tells us, look again at verse 26. Jesus says, on that day of him... 
will the Son of Man be ashamed. On that day, there are going to be certain people of whom the Son of Man is ashamed. What does that mean? What does it mean for the, for the Son of Man to be ashamed of you? What does it mean to, for the Son of Man to be ashamed of someone? We, we kind of know, I think, what that language means, don't we? We know what it means for someone to be ashamed of someone. It means that they, they distance themselves. They, they disassociate themselves. It means that they, they don't claim them. I, I'm not with you. You're not with me. We're not together. He will stand at a distance. He will remain silent. He will not claim them as his own. And what will be the result of Jesus' shame? What will be the result for those of whom the Son of Man is ashamed? Well, the result can only be condemnation. You see, at that final judgment, Paul tells us as clearly as he can tell us that no one will be able to stand upon their own record. By works of the law, Paul says, no flesh, that means none of us, none of us will be justified in his In Galatians chapter 3, he says, all who rely on works of the law, that is, all who rely upon their own performance, all who rely upon their own record, on that day they will receive only curse. Why is this? Why is this? Well, because, as the psalmist says in Psalm 24, the only one who can withstand that day, the only one who can stand in that judgment is the one who has clean hands and a pure heart. And that excludes all of us. None of us qualify. As the psalmist says in in Psalm 130, if you count iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have have all sinned and and earned for ourselves condemnation. And so if we stand in that day alone, if we stand in that day apart from Christ on that day, we have no hope. On that day, we will face condemnation. We will receive the just punishment due to us for our sins. You see, if Jesus does not stand with us, if Jesus does not stand for us, if he does not speak on our behalf, then the day of the Lord, the day of judgment, as the prophet Amos says, the day of judgment will be a day of darkness and not light. A day of judgment and condemnation instead of blessing. And so this is a big deal. If God is going, if Christ is going to be ashamed of some on that day, we need to know why. Why would would Jesus be ashamed of any? Why would he stand apart from them? Well, he tells us in the first phrase of verse 26. Look again at what he says. He says, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed. Who is it that that Jesus will stand apart from? Who is it that he will not claim as his own on that day? He tells us it is those who are ashamed of him and his words here and now. If you are ashamed of him now, he will be ashamed of you on that day. So we must ask, what does it mean to be ashamed of Jesus? Well, given... The context, I, I think we, we just sort of intuitively understand it must have something to do with denying yourself, taking up your cross and following. That's what Jesus has been talking about. 
Jesus has said, if you would come after me, this is what you must do. You must deny yourself. You must take up your cross. You must follow me. And so being ashamed of Jesus must have something to do with that. It must have something with, with not following, with, with not denying yourself, with, with not taking up your cross. To, to be ashamed of Jesus must have something to do with refusing to, to receive him as Lord and Master. And there are any number of reasons why a person may do this. There are any number of reasons why a person would, would not follow Jesus. There are some who, who do not follow Jesus simply because they don't believe this gospel is true. They don't believe, maybe they don't believe there's a God at all. Maybe they don't believe there's a God that they need to worry about. They don't believe that there's going to be a day of judgment. They don't believe that there is a, a creator who is going to call them to account. They think all this religion stuff is just a, a, a way to try to control and manipulate people. And so they do not bow to Jesus as Lord. Maybe they do believe there's a God, but they just don't believe Jesus is the way. They, they believe that there's some other religion that is, is right or is, or is better. They don't believe it's true, and so they do not bow the knee. Of course, others just think it's not necessary. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not, but certainly it's not, it's not necessary. I don't need a Savior. I don't need Jesus to, to save me. I don't need to rely upon His work. My works are good enough. Either because I've, I've tried really hard and I've done pretty well, or, or maybe because you know, God grades on a curve. You know, God likes to forgive. That's what he does. How hard can this be? You know, I'm not, I'm not Hitler. I'm not Stalin. I'm not one of those guys. Of course God will receive me. So there are some who think it's not necessary. And then finally there are others who just think it's not worth it. Yes, maybe it is true. And yes, maybe it is, is necessary to have eternal life. But the price is just too high. Think of the rich young ruler, the man who, who came to Jesus asking what he must do to have eternal life. And when Jesus told him, we're told that he went away sad. He went away sad because the price was just too high. Jesus said, listen, if you would come after me, sell your possessions, give the money to the poor and come with me. But the rich man was rich. He had a lot of possessions, and he, he liked those possessions. And so when he heard what Jesus said about denying himself, when he, when he heard what Jesus said about taking up his cross and following, he said the price is just too high. And there are many who make similar choices. Maybe God hasn't asked them to give up all their possessions, but God has asked them to die to themselves. And I say, I just can't. Do it. There are any number of reasons why a, a person might not be willing to follow Jesus. Any number of reasons why they, they might not be willing to deny themselves, take up their cross, and go with Him. And if we are honest, as we look at our own lives, we, we recognize that at least to a degree, most of those reasons manifest in our own lives. We struggle to believe this is true. We sometimes live like practical atheists. We, we sometimes live as if God wasn't there, as if there was no day of judgment. We sometimes live as if it just isn't necessary. Of course God will receive me. 
We sometimes live as if the price is just too high. We're, we go away sad because we're not willing. And so when we, we hear Jesus say, of him who is ashamed of me, of him I will be ashamed. We wonder. I haven't always followed him. I, I haven't always denied myself. I haven't always taken up my cross. I have not followed him as faithfully as I, I should. Will he be ashamed of me on that day? Is being ashamed of Jesus simply failing to follow him faithfully? Is that what Jesus is saying here? I want to suggest to you this morning that while this word ashamed is a challenge, it's also a comfort. Because to be ashamed of Jesus is not simply to fail in following him. If that were true, we would all be without hope. If that were true, we would all be excluded because we have all failed. None of us has has perfectly denied ourselves, taken up our crosses, and and followed after him. But Jesus uses this word ashamed, I think, for a very specific reason. Because he wants us to see that sinners can still be counted as his, so long as they are not ashamed. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be ashamed of Jesus? I, I saw a movie this week with with some of my boys we were watching a movie called Rudy maybe you've seen it before it's a movie about a a a high school student a high school football player who according to one of his friends is five foot nothing a hundred nothing and has no athletic skill whatsoever and yet his dream his ambition is to play football at the University of Notre Dame It's what he's dreamed about since he was a little boy. It's what he's wanted to do since he was a little boy. And he works towards that goal as hard as he can. First, he has to actually get into the college. He has to actually make good enough grades to to get in. And when he finds out that his grades matter, that he can't play football at Notre Dame until he does, he starts to work in the classroom. He even gets a tutor to to help him. And eventually he gets accepted. But then he's got to make the team. And he's half the size of the guys that he he is going against. But he goes all out. And and the other coaches, they they see his effort. And they know he's never going to play a varsity minute in his entire life. But they let him be on the practice squad. And so he's a member of the team. He gets to go to practice with the Notre Dame football team. And the reality is that there's not a play run in practice where he does not fail to fulfill his assignment. He can't block the people he's supposed to block. He can't tackle the people he's supposed to tackle. He can't catch the people who are running away from him. There is nothing he can do that is good enough to be part of that team. But everybody there, the coaches, the players, everyone knows that he is not ashamed to be a member of that team. Quite the contrary. It is his joy. It is the fulfillment of his dream. And he gets up after every failed play and he lines up again. He gives himself fully to the endeavor of doing what his coaches ask him to do, even though there is no chance he's going to do it good enough. Even though there's no chance that he is going to succeed. He fails play after play after play. 
And yet he gets up again and again and again and devotes himself to the task at hand. As I was watching that with my boys, I I could not help but think of this passage that we're studying this week. It seems to me a a perfect picture of the Christian life. It seems to me a a perfect picture of of the way we live. We are Rudy. We are five foot nothing, a hundred and nothing, with no athletic skill whatsoever. We cannot do this thing called following Jesus. We don't have what it takes. But we are not ashamed to be on his team. We are not ashamed to be called his disciples. And we get up again and again and again and devote ourselves to the effort of following him. Will we fail? Yes, we will fail. Yes, we will fall short. Yes, we will stumble, but we don't quit. We don't walk away. We don't give up. We are not ashamed. We sang it this morning. A mighty refuge is our God. We need that refuge. And here's what Jesus is saying. If you'll flee to me, if you'll take refuge in me, I will never let you be put to shame. The one who calls upon my name The one who stands with me. The one who trusts in my finished work and not his own. That one will receive an inheritance in the coming kingdom of God. So let me ask you. Are you ashamed this morning? I'm not asking are you ashamed of some things that you have done. I'm not asking you if you have fallen short. I'm not asking you if you have sinned. I know the answer to those questions. Without even knowing the details, I know that every one of us here this morning has fallen short. I know that we are all still sinners. But I also know this, that if we will daily get up and call ourselves His, on that day, He will call us His. And when He calls us as His own, It guarantees our inheritance. You see, we haven't bought it. We haven't paid for it. He has. And so when he gives it to us, it is ours. And if he is not ashamed of us, then we will not be put to shame. And that is why we celebrate this as good news. Now, do you believe that? Amen. Pray with me. Father God, we rejoice in your goodness. What a gospel, Father. You tell us that we must follow you and we are we're crushed. We're wondering, can we do it? And the answer comes back clearly, no. No, you cannot. But if you are not ashamed, if you will get up, if you will line up again, if you will resolve daily to follow me, I will claim you as my own. Even if you're five foot nothing, a hundred and nothing, with no skill whatsoever. Father God, that is the gospel that we cling to. All other ground is sinking sand. But we stand upon the solid rock of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and his perfect righteousness. Father God, give us the hope of this gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.